House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Joining us is uh, Robert Stinnett, uh, author of Day of Deceit. He was an American sailor, uh, has ten battle stars, and uh, his book has been uh, very interesting to me and a lot of people. So, um, how are you doing today, uh, Robert? Well, I'm looking forward to our interview. Fantastic. So, uh, now, uh, tell, tell people a little bit about you, if they don't know who you are, and uh, wh- what your, a little bit of your history. Yes, uh, I, was, uh, uh, I joined the Navy in uh, December 1st, 1942, and uh, was assigned to the USS San Jacinto, which was a light aircraft carrier of the Pacific Fleet. And uh, we were part of the main uh, task force that was attacking the Japanese uh, Imperial Navy. Uh, and uh, one of our officers was a, an ensign by the name of George Bush. And he was a photographic officer of the squadron, uh, torpedo squadron of the San Jacinto. And, uh, as you can guess, as George H.W. Bush became a, eventually became president of the United States. And, but I knew him first as a photographic officer of the, uh, of his uh, torpedo squadron. So, uh, we both learned aerial photography and used it against the Japanese Navy in World War II. Wow. That's quite a history. Uh, d- 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 did you get to know him very well back then? Oh, yes. He was very dedicated. He, he was a, a pilot, but he was also in charge of aerial photography from his torpedo bomber. So he would come back to the photo lab on the San Jacinto and... Uh, uh, and we would discuss the, uh, the, the targets for each day, a landing beach at Tullylu or a Saipan, that sort of thing, and, and how the photography would be uh, accomplished. And it was, it was a lot of fun, he's always making jokes, and uh, there, there was no uh, officer uh, uh, put down. To, to us photographers. Wow, that's great. Did you ever think he'd become president? <laughs> oh, I had no idea. But, but, but I liked him so much. I took a lot of photographs of him. And uh, most of the photographs of him uh, I took that were used later in his campaigns. Wow, that's quite an interesting history there. So, so what brought you into uh, writing the book, um, Day of Deceit? Like, how did you get to there? Well, uh, I was, of course, very interested in uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was used uh, by President Roosevelt as a uh, means to get us into the war in, in uh, 1941. But uh, so I was reading all sorts of books and uh, military books that were put out by authors generally from the, from the East Coast and, and from the Ivy League uh, uh, universities and, and, and so forth. But uh, in 1982, 
I read a book by David Prang called At Dawn We Slept. And uh, uh, in it, he had a throwaway line, just about a, less than a paragraph, that the Navy had a intercept station or a monitor station that was listening to the Japanese Imperial Navy uh, radio broadcast. That was the first time I'd heard of that. Because uh, it was top secret. We were not uh, discussing it aboard the San Jacinto. And uh, so I wanted to find out more about the monitor station. Because if we were listening into the Japanese uh, orders to their fleet, Pearl Harbor could not have been a secret uh, uh, attack. And so uh, I went to, uh, I worked at the time on the Oakland Tribune. I thought that uh, this uh, monitor station, if it existed, would be make a good uh, December 7th, 1982 story for Pearl Harbor. I went to my editor and told him about it. He said, oh, by all means, go over to Hawaii and see if, if that's true. So I filed a FOIA, that's a Freedom of Information Act with the Navy, asking to see the station. They granted it to me, believe it or not. And so I went over there, and with my wife, uh, we met uh, uh, some of the radio operators that were guides uh, at the Pearl Harbor uh, facility at Pearl Harbor around the USS Arizona. So that's where I met the the, uh, the cryptographers that were listening to the to the messages, and they told me where I would find more information. So that sent me on a uh, on a uh, survey to the National Archives. That I'm still using, and uh, I'm in my twenty or twenty second, twenty third year on it now. Wow. Now, being a sailor and being in the, the Navy and doing all this, how how was your feeling toward uh, FDR at the time? I mean, before you knew any of this, like, uh, did you did you think he was a good president? Everything was well. Oh yes, I uh, I uh, I supported. The, in fact, he was the first president that I voted for in 1944. But prior to that, I was a great admirer of him. And he was trying to get us to establish aircraft carriers and fleet units that could be used to fight Germany. And so I was quite aware of uh, the isolation movement in this country that did not want to get involved in Europe's war. That's what that was called. And so I was sort of a news junkie and a teenager at the time, and I would listen to uh, Edward R. Murrow and Hans Kaltenborn uh, to NBC and CBS radio networks reporting what was going on in Germany. Yeah. So so it, it was really tough to get a lot of information back then. Like, it wasn't as easy as it is now, is it? was it? It was... Well, of course, it was all secret, uh, what was going on. And uh, by what was secret was the... Uh, uh, how to get uh, do away with the isolation movement in this country and get the United States to fight uh, Germany again 
in the World War Two, because in World War One uh, we, we made a lot of uh, loans to European countries. We sent our troops over there. They were gassed by the by the, uh, the Germans in, in in the battlefields of Europe, and Americans wanted nothing to do uh, again with a, another world war, and that was the situation that. The president faced in the in, in the late 1930s, early 1940s. So he was trying to uh, uh, use deceit uh, to get us into the war uh, with Germany by getting Japan uh, to uh, attack us. And Japan was using deceit to hide all of this. So it was it was deceit versus deceit, uh, and and and. Uh, the U.S. Navy found out all about this because we were monitoring the Japanese naval radio network, which extended uh, uh, all throughout the Pacific Basin. And we had monitor stations from San Diego north to Seattle in your area to, to uh, Dutch Harbor and then down on the China coast and into the Philippines. We had, we had uh, Japan wired for sound. But they also had us sort of wired because they had a Japanese spy. He was a naval officer hidden in the uh, Japanese consulate in, in Hawaii who arrived in uh, March 1941 and began spying on the Pacific fleet. At first he was reporting uh, a census of the fleet, what kind of warships were there, like carriers, battleships, and so forth. That uh, it took us to the spring of 1941, and then in, in the late summer of, of 41, we started preparing bomb plots of the Pearl Harbor anchorage where these warships were anchored, and sending it back on RCA radio communications uh, in, in Honolulu. Well, we were listening to all these messages. And the FBI was alerted to it. They assigned agents to follow them. But this was all kept secret, part of the deceit. And so Japan is using deceit to learn about the, the Pacific Fleet, and we're trying to get them to attack us. And uh, that's what happened uh, about 14 months before Pearl Harbor, when uh, President Roosevelt uh, uh, summoned the commander of the fleet to the White House and the Oval Office and told him about this plan. And the admiral just blew up at the president and there was a hot and heated uh, uh, conversation, if you could call it that. Uh, but uh, you don't talk to the president uh, like uh, Admiral Richardson did. He was in charge of the United States fleet. In, in October 1940, we did not have a two-ocean two uh, navy. And so uh, Admiral Richardson opposed uh, Roosevelt when, he, uh, when Roosevelt proposed uh, getting Japan to attack us at Pearl Harbor and then trigger a, uh, a treaty with Germany, Italy, and Japan, the one that would come to one another's aid. This is a backdoor approach to get us uh, into the war with Germany. They're the ones that uh, Roosevelt feared, not really Japan. 
So the uh, he adopted a plan by the Navy to uh, get Japan to commit an overt act of war against the United States. So what was the general feeling about Japan in the United States at the time, like before Pearl Harbor, uh, in the general public? Did they have any real opinion about uh, the Japanese? Well, no. Uh, well, uh, in, in my high school, we had Japanese students in the class. Uh, we were all very friendly, and we, we loved all the students. Uh, but uh, Roosevelt saw this opportunity when Japan signed the, the uh, tripartite pact with Germany and Italy in September 1940. And the tripartite pact said that the, 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 these were the Axis nations. If one was attacked by uh, another nation not in the war at the time, meaning the United States, then the others would come to their aid. So Roosevelt adopted a Navy plan seizing on this uh, uh, deal that they would uh, come to one another's aid. And that's why he uh, uh, adopted the Navy plan. Uh, and, and we, uh, uh, there were eight provocations to provoke Japan to attack us at Pearl Harbor, and he adopted all eight of them starting in October 1940. And we were following, uh, from our monitor stations. One of the major station was there in Seattle on Bainbridge Island called Station Sugar. Uh, and uh, Sugar was 4S for Seattle. Oh, so well, what was his plan then? So he wanted. So what did he do to provoke Japan then? Well, he adopted the Navy plan by uh, a lieutenant commander who was head of the far eastern desk of the United States Navy. He was stationed at Maine Navy in Washington D.C. and he and he, he he came up with this plan, this overt act of war plan uh, to provoke Japan into attacking us at Pearl Harbor, which he said would cause them uh, uh, to, to react uh, in a hostile way. Uh, his name is uh, Commander Arthur McCollum, and he was uh, a son of Baptist ministry parents who lived in Japan uh, and were teaching Baptist uh, Christian theories to Japanese and uh, so uh, Commander McCollum learned the Japanese language. He was born in Japan. And so he learned that and uh, was able to speak and, and learn their culture. And so he came up with the idea after he grew up and then returned to the United States uh, to get Japan to commit the overt acts of war and, and uh, suggested Eight the provocation to President Roosevelt. Uh, one of them was to keep the fleet at Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt had moved the fleet to Pearl Harbor in the spring of 1941 over the objections of Admiral Richardson. And uh, then that was one of provocation. Another one was to send an American uh, task force into Japanese territorial waters to kick off. Uh, the Japanese nationalists that were directed to that. Others was to keep uh, supplying uh, China 
uh, which was then within a civil war type with Japan. Uh, in other words, to have instituted oil embargoes and steel embargoes against Japan. But that was just to show uh, they, they, Japan got uh, all the oil they wanted. They sent their tankers to the refineries uh, in San Francisco Bay. And uh, this is in October and, and, and throughout the fall of 1940 and the spring of 1941. So, so there's eight publications, and I have them in my book, so your listeners can uh, can read it and then judge for themselves. Uh, and they were they were uh, publications A through H. That was eight of them. Right. And so, do you think that um, so with him doing this, this plan? Did uh, did he think it was going to be as devastating as it was? Did he think he'd lose as many people? As oh, he yes. Uh, uh, Commander McCollum, you know, he really knew the Japanese psychology. And he was playing up uh, uh, to, to, to that so that they would, uh, uh, they would be outraged and, and commit this overt act of war at Pearl Harbor. And uh, here we are. Uh, here we are in the United States. We're listening to the spy uh, who's been in, in, infiltrated into the uh, uh, Japanese consulate, and he's sending these messages back to uh, uh, Japan over RCA radio communications, uh, which the, there's a station in in Honolulu, a receiving station and a, and a transmission station. So we knew what they were doing. And we were also listening into the Japanese uh, uh, radio frequencies themselves, so we knew that they were organizing tankers and, and aircraft carriers. Uh, so there was no, no question about uh, Japan was fighting on the uh, overdose war plan. And so, so his ultimate goal was was Germany, FDR. Um, what was he so bent against Germany for? Well, well, Germany was, of course, uh, 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 in October 1940, Germany had conquered most of Europe and was bombing uh, London and England and massing uh, uh, invasion forces on the French coast so that they could uh, so they could conquer. Uh, Britain, and then and, and if uh, Hitler had been successful in doing that, uh, then he was going to come over here, seize Bermuda, Canada, British possessions in the, in the Caribbean, and that would have been a, uh, a huge uh, burden for the United States, because we did not have a two-ocean navy in October 1940 when all this was going on. Right, and but the public wasn't behind it. They didn't see that. Well, the public was led by uh, Charles Lindbergh, who was what was called the America First Committee, and Henry Ford, and the Hearst newspapers, and Father Cogdon. This is the the group that wanted nothing to do uh, with another World War One, because with uh, America. Parents did not want to send their war 
their, their, their children to another Europe's war and go through what they did in 1914 to 1918. And so, uh, so they did not want to get into a war with Germany who had, who had the wherewithal uh, with, for, for, for missions and the skill to create the, uh, uh, bombs, electronic bombs and that sort of thing. But we wanted nothing to do with the Europe's war. And there were meetings held throughout the United States where Lindbergh, Lindbergh spoke against that. And uh, 80% of Americans that wanted nothing to do with the war, according to Gallup poll. So Roosevelt adopted this first, uh, the Liberal Act of War plan by McCollum that would, would get us, that would unite us from a Japanese attack because Americans would be so outraged by an attack at Pearl Harbor that they would join in, in, uh, in the Allied movement to defeat Germany. So that's what it was all about. And it's sort of complicated, but it was really very simple. Uh, and Roosevelt was successful in, 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 in getting Japan to attack us. And using the seat, and Japan is also using the seat. So that's an interesting thing that, that we were able to penetrate their deceit because we were listening to their actual broadcasts from, uh, from, from Tokyo and was intercepted by the station. One of the stations, as I said, was at, uh, on Bainbridge Island there in Seattle. Wow. And so the general public didn't really have a good idea of what uh, the Nazis were about then before the before the Pearl Harbor. Oh yes, we we, uh, we, we knew that uh, Hitler had uh, invaded uh, uh, Austria and uh, and in other parts of uh, Czechoslovakia, and, and it also had worked. Uh, he, he had, Hitler and the Nazi Navy had worked with the with the Spanish Navy in the Spanish Civil War. So we knew the uh, radio frequencies used by the Japanese, uh, uh, excuse me, the German Navy in the Spanish War because they were helping uh, General Franco. And they had their battleships there. And we were listening to them. And one of the ones who was listening was Commander uh, McCollum, who was a, uh, an officer of a destroyer. And he had uh, radio cryptographers aboard his ships that were listening to the Jap- to the German radio frequencies, so we knew their communications procedures. And so, uh, after the Pearl Harbor bombing, there's a lot of you know young listeners, and they probably don't realize a lot of things. So, the government, American government, did what to the Japanese? They actually put them in camps. Well, that, to hide the fact that we were listening to the to the lone Japanese spy, there was only one Japanese spy, and his name was Yoshikawa. He was an ensign, and he was the one that sending the messages. But to cover up our knowledge of all this, uh, Roosevelt sent the order to put 120,000 Americans of Japanese ancestry into concentration camps. 
And that was ordered in February 1942. And in the meantime, the Japanese consulate in Honolulu was, was, uh, taken into protective custody and sent to a dude ranch in Arizona in luxury conditions to, to hide, uh, the consulate and the spy from American newspaper men. And, uh, and uh, so they lived in the dune ranch where 120,000 Americans lost all their property and were sent to concentration camps in California, uh, Arizona, and other parts of the West. So now what do you think the um, people's reaction, like how has it changed you toward uh, how you feel about uh, FDR? Well, I had no idea all of this was going on. And I got it in my high school. The Japanese students all of a sudden disappeared, and we never were told where what had happened. And in the meantime, I'm I'm really I'm I'm a news junkie. I'm listening to Edward R. Murrow and and Dalton Bourne on the CBS and NBC news, and I understand understood what was happening at the bombing of. of, uh, of, of, of England and London and what they were going through and the sinking of our, our ships in the Atlantic. This is before, this is in October, uh, in 1940. They were, and into 1941, prior to Pearl Harbor, German submarines were sinking our, our, our ships and cargo ships and warships. So I was aware of that. So was Americans. And, and I was for, uh, Going there against Germany at the time, uh, I was only what about 17 years old, but I, I could see what was going on there, and also listening to what Edward R. Murrow said and Calvin Bourne, they were both warning about what Hitler was going to do, and in the, in the pointing out that invasion forces were being amassed by the German army on the French coast, which was just 35 miles from uh, England at the time. So how soon do you think uh, ahead of time that uh, FDR actually knew they were going to bomb Pearl Harbor? Like how much notice did he have? Well, uh, he adopted the the plan on, uh, on October 8, 1940. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he was getting daily, uh, intercepts. These are the Japanese intercepts to, to, uh, from, uh, uh, the Navy cryptographers, as I said earlier, from Station Sugar and others there in the Pacific Basin. And, uh, and then eventually when the spy arrived in, uh, in, in, in February, in March, 1941, he was getting his messages, so he knew that uh, he was, uh, the spy was planning, uh, uh, you know, bomb plots of Pearl Harbor. He was getting all this information, and he said David Sarnoff, who was head of RCA, to Pearl Harbor, and, and, uh, and to instruct the RCA office at Pearl Harbor. To be sure they gave all the messages that are intercepted to the Navy uh, commanders 
and the uh, army commanders at uh, Pearl Harbor. And that was done. So the, they all knew that we were listening to that, but they, they were told uh, in, uh, by President Roosevelt's orders to stand aside and let Japan commit the first overt act. And that was order went out on November 27, 1941, just about two weeks before Pearl Harbor. That was all intercepted. So you think people would feel different about the president, FDR, now uh, about knowing this? Oh, well, the, uh, we didn't know about it. This is all secret. Uh, it was the, uh, even after, well, during the war, you wouldn't talk about it. And then when the, when the war was over, all of these records were put in Navy concrete vaults in Crane, Indiana, in a, uh, uh, in a, uh, Arsenal there, which we had concrete protection, uh, and it's called Crane, Indiana, or Crane Piles. So that's where I learned about the Crane Piles when I went over to look at, uh, at, at the uh, station to, uh, described in the book by uh, Gordon Prang, and it was called Station Hypo. Uh, that was that was the name we had of all the same posts. Uh, in Hawaii, and then, and as I said, there was also the other listening post on the Pacific Coast, Green Station Sugar in Seattle. Hmm. So now, but this was all kept secret, and right. then after the war, it was all hidden in uh, in Crane, Indiana. But I was told by the cryptographers that I met at Station Hypo when I went over there for the 1982 uh, inspection, and that was the first. Newsman to get first alive, newsman to get into Station Hypo. I had learned that the Japanese uh, uh, radio station and television network had been there in August uh, uh, 1982, uh, 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 you know, about a month before my, and they learned all about it. Wow. So, what was your reaction? When well, you I. I I I was told about this, but I had no proof, and so I filed. Uh, I, I returned to Oakland, California, <laughs> to the Oakland Tribune, and we had a we wrote a story uh, about this station. But I did not have any of the intercepts, so I started filing FOIA's with the Navy, and they granted me uh, permission to do all of this. It was strange, but uh, I figured out these were new ensigns and uh, lieutenants and junior officers that did not know about the secrets of uh, the overactive war plan. And so uh, even Jimmy Carter, President Carter, in 1979 released a huge batch of these intercepts uh, to uh, the public and national archives. When I learned about that, and filed and got those records. And there were about 2,000 uh, intercepts. These are the actual intercepts that Japan was preparing for war against the United States. We were intercepting about 1,000 messages per day at Station Ipo. So, uh, and we started in July of 1941 to December 6th. So we had about 140,000 uh, uh, intercepts 
that were in our files. But Jimmy Carter only released 2,000 uh, of them. That was about 2% of the 140,000. But anyway, these were the very uh, important intercepts. And, uh, uh, and I saw them. They were, they were trans uh, translated into English. And so I could, so then I, I, uh, filed, I wanted to meet these cryptographers. And so I filed, uh, FOIAs with the Navy, and they let me, uh, interview them, so I had to submit uh, their answers to them. But the, the Navy cleared them all, and one of them was the traffic chief, the man in charge of the whole, uh, intercept facility for the Pacific Fleet. His name is Homer Kisner, and he lived in my state down in Southern California. And I spent uh, about three or four years interviewing him, all of the approval of the Navy. But you know, there's about 3,700 Pearl Harbor books currently in print, according to Amazon.com. I'm the only one uh, author to actually talk to the intercept operators and including their boss, Homer Kissner, who was the traffic chief. And I think that's inexcusable for the American uh, news media not to uh, have gotten their first-hand accounts. I got all the, the, the information and the actual intercepts. But uh, the, the, what do we call them, the... Uh, the Beltway uh, correspondents in Washington, D.C., apparently were protecting uh, the reputation of President Roosevelt. Uh, I, uh, in a way, I, I was exposing this, but uh, it, was, it was the only alternative that, that President Roosevelt had to get us into the war and prevent Japan Japan and Germany joining forces and then coming over uh, and, and getting bases in Bermuda and Canada and the Philippines to attack our country. That's what Roosevelt was really after. You did a lot of research for the Day of Deceit. How long did it take you to get that book all researched and put together? Well, I'm still researching. <laughs> I've, uh, uh, I spent 18 years when the AMC was published in December 1999. Now I'm working on, I've got more records showing uh, President Roosevelt's actual written approval of all of this. That'll be the, in my next book. But, uh, I don't want to talk about that right now. Okay. When do you, uh, I'm still researching that. Oh, yeah, I know. It takes time. When do you plan to think? You'll have that out. Well, I'm 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 working with uh, publishers and my literary agents for uh, uh, December 2016. So I hope I could do that. Wow! Yeah, it'll be uh, very interesting. Look forward to it. Why Why do uh, the other book writers or media not really cover this subject? Well, that's a big. I mean, they they gave me a scoop. Uh, by, by remaining silent and, uh, uh, and they, they don't even mention uh, Japan and, and the uh, we had 25 monitor stations in, in the Pacific that were listening and reporting to President Roosevelt 
But I thought that was very important for the American public to know. Not during the wartime, of course, but after the peacetime. I think that the 3,700 authors should have it. And also, motion picture uh, uh, scenarios, uh, uh, Torah, Torah, documentaries, they also ignored all this. I made uh, television interviews with Commander Kistner, and uh, I have those uh, where he was telling how they were monitoring uh, the uh, Japanese carrier fleet when they were in the North Pacific. And on on December 6th, Commander uh, Kistner wrote a a uh, warning to Admiral Kimmel, the head of the Pacific Fleet, said that Japan is on a wartime basis. And, and he alerted, uh, the alert went to Admiral Kimmel, but he had received, two weeks earlier, he had received the order from President Roosevelt to stand aside and let Japan commit the first over there. And that's what happened. You know, uh, Admiral Kimmel on November 23rd had the entire Pacific Fleet in an exact location in the North Pacific where Japan was going to launch Pearl Harbor. It was, a, it was above, it was called the Bokovia Sea Mount. As you know, the Pacific is just a ring of fire and north of Oahu and in the Hawaiian Islands there are these uh, sea mounts that were once above sea level, but they slowly sink, and the new islands come up in, in, in the Pacific. That's happening now in, in Hawaii, in the Big Island, and uh, in Kilauea, where the, the volcano is building a new island, where, all, where islands that uh, we participated in, in the uh, in World War II, like Tarawa, is slowly sinking, and they're going to be uh, seamounts uh, in another thousand years or so. If you follow what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's, so what's your uh, overall opinion now, now that you know everything, it's all passed? Um, was, it, was it the right thing for FDR to do? I think that was his only, it was his only option. If he had done nothing... And, uh, 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 you know, nothing to get us into the war with Germany. And Germany was able to uh, invade England and seize Bermuda and establish bases in Canada and the Caribbean. We would have been toast uh, because we did not, our two ocean navy didn't come into existence until uh, uh, late November. In 1943, and so uh, Germany had a substantial navy, and Japan had a huge navy with aircraft carriers, and in Japan and in Germany had a huge uh, submarine force that could really uh, hurt us badly if we had not gone into the war. So uh, I said that uh, even though the Americans were opposed to joining the war. Roosevelt had to face a third term. He ran for a third term in the fall of 1940 and promised Americans that your boys are not going to be sent 
into any war unless we are attacked. That was his uh, 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 quota there, that uh, unless we are attacked. So in October 1940, that's when he started uh, getting Japan uh, uh, to, to, to form a terrorist task force that would attack us at Pearl Harbor. And we followed all of their plans for monitoring the, uh, the Japanese naval communications. Now, the Japanese naval communications are different than the Japanese foreign office code. We also invoked that one, but we admitted to that, but we never admitted to breaking the Japanese uh, naval code. Hmm. With all Until my book has come out, and I've got the actual uh, intercepts. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a great book. Um, of, of, of all the experience you have and the, the years you've lived and the things you've seen and read, is there any books or movies out there that you think people should see besides your own? Well, as I say, there's, there's 3,700 books currently in print according to Amazon.com. Right. And none of them talk about breaking the Japanese table code and, and, and the orders going out to the fleet to stand aside and, and let Japan commit the first overt act. That came direct from President Roosevelt on uh, November 27th and 28th, 1941. Same order went to General Short, who was head of the uh, Army uh, uh, troops on, in the Hawaiian Islands, and General MacArthur in the Philippines, and Admiral Hart, who was head of the Asiatic Fleet. So both, both the Pacific commanders, both in the, in the Philippines and, and Hawaii, were told to stand aside and let Japan commit the first overt act. Because this is all secret. They're not going to, uh, President Roosevelt was not going to uh, uh, let the, the public know about this. And the, and the, the Washington Beltway reporters, after the, this knockdown, drag out fight that, that the president had with Admiral Richardson, Richardson on October 1940, he had a press conference right immediately after the, the knockdown, drag out fight, and the reporters asked the president, what were you and the admiral talking about? And the, and the, uh, uh, and Roosevelt answered them and said, oh, we were just discussing uh, 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 maps of the Pacific. And, of course, they laughed at that, but they did not pursue that. Hmm. Well, so how do people get a hold of you or uh, they get your book? Uh, your book's on, in Amazon. and uh, um, oh, Yes, in your, in your, in your uh, in Seattle bookstores, uh, they sell it to, uh, 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 Amazon.com uh, is probably one of, is one of the largest in the United States now, and, and you can get it from them, uh, or from your local bookstores in the Seattle area. They have them. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I'll tell you. Thank you very much for uh, doing this. Thanks for your service. Thanks for um, all the things you've done. I mean, that's uh, quite a life you've lived, and uh, and uh, I really appreciate. Um, you coming on and talking and hopefully you'll come on and talk about uh, your new book when you get it together and oh uh, well, that would be fine let's keep in touch and uh, 
it's a whole new generation of high school students and college students are writing me now. You know, I get them from Australia and all throughout the world, Japan also. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people interested in it, and uh, well, they're 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 alert, they're alert to uh, these provocations from uh, from the weapons of mass destruction that 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 really uh, was used in the Mid Eastern War, you know. Yeah, that really hit the the young people of this country. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has uh, taken their trust away. I think. That's right. Exactly. You've got that. Their trust was was uh, hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's too bad. But it's what happened. Well, sir, thank you very much. Well, I hope I answered all the questions. It's, it's a complicated to understand all this uh, and radio frequencies and all that and breaking codes. But I hope uh, that they're at least alert to it. Your your listeners are at least alert. I think so. I think uh, we took it down to the to the basics and kind of got. Basic questions, and I think that that'll, if anything, it'll make them want to read the book. Well, I have all the, many of these documents, including the McCullum uh, Overt Act War Plan, is reprinted in my book, and they'll get a, a huge uh, interest in that. Whatever happened to McCullum? Well, he uh, he he died of uh, of old age, uh, uh, but uh, he he. he after after Pearl Harbor, he was sent uh, uh, to, to to MacArthur's uh, Navy, which is called the Seventh Fleet, and he was intelligence officer uh, for the for MacArthur, uh, who uh, withheld all this information, and uh, so so McCollum was really a MacArthur man rather than a Navy man. Yeah. <laughs> The Navy didn't get along with MacArthur. No. He was pretty independent, I guess, in his thought. Well, that's right. I think he was keeping it. He knew the secret, and he was keeping it. Yeah. But so did Admiral Kimball and General Short. And they went. They took the blame. They fell on their swords. They were trying to protect the fact that we had broken the Japanese naval code, and that's how we were able to win the Battle of Midway, which knocked out Japan. Uh, from the war. Hmm. And you do know, I always wondered why they let the leader of Japan continue after the surrender. The Emperor Hirohito? Yeah. Well, because he controlled the Japanese people, uh, revered him as a god. You see, he was a god leader. So he controlled them, and uh, he made it easy for uh, than to accept his surrender. And also, they did not want another atom bomb dropped on them. And, uh, so, so uh, uh, General MacArthur, who was the uh, allied leader uh, during the Japanese occupation, got along just fine with Hirohito and the Japanese people listening to Hirohito. There was no, uh, uh, no secret uh, bombing plots and that type of thing in Japan. They went along with, with the uh, surrender. Well, I guess that was a good thing then. Yeah. Well, sir, thank you very much for the conversation and the interview. Very good. I thank you for your insight. 
find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.